This is Without Compromise, a show that explores what happens when you won't settle for anything less than your crazy ideas. We'll talk to athletes, founders, adventurers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds about living without compromise. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Welcome to the show. We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. We're just over one week into Sober October, and if you're participating, uh, I hope it's going well. It might be really challenging for you to cut out alcohol for an entire month. Uh, for some of you, it's just another month of not drinking, just like every other month. Um, and if you haven't noticed here at Athletic Brewing, we attract folks across that entire spectrum, folks who don't drink at all, completely sober lifestyles, and those who uh, you know, are sober for a time or, or only don't drink you know, during the week or are in the middle of a training regimen, so they're not drinking at all. Or they love alcohol and they you know, use Athletic as a pacer beer. There's literally a million reasons why people drink Athletic Brewing beer, and we hear a new one every day. But for the month of October, every year, we celebrate not drinking, and as a community, go sober. But if you're a week into it and you're like, golly, you know, I need, I, I need some help with this or I'm not enjoying it or, or you're living, you know, your constant sober lifestyle, uh, we wanted to feature an episode that really talked about that and really talked about someone who works in the service industry, uh, works with alcohol, works with uh, mixology and breweries. Um, and that was Haley Hosler, who's our Oregon Territory Manager. If you've ever met Haley, you probably won't forget it. She is the self-described and self-acclaimed life of the party. And I'd have to agree, she is just a fireball of energy, of personality. And she doesn't drink. And she hasn't drank in over two years. And she's here today to tell us what it's like to be in the industry that she loves uh, and not consume any of the alcohol that's in the industry. So uh, at first, she didn't think there was going to be a place for her. But as you you know, with stuff like Athletic Brewing and other companies that are out there, uh, the awareness for sober lifestyle and the acceptance has just been so drastically different than it was in the past. And Haley's here to tell us today kind of what her experience has been like, how she got to this point, uh, and some of the things she's excited about. And something else that's going on during Sober October is the non-alcoholic beer mile. You may have heard of a beer mile where you literally run a mile and drink four beers. Uh, we're going to be launching a whole new category called non-alcoholic beer mile. And we're going to have the two best beer milers in the world, the two leading people with the fastest beer mile, Chris Robertson, who's on the podcast today, uh, and Corey Bellmore are going to be um, going head-to-head to basically set the world record for the category. Um, but it's open to anybody. Anybody can come run it. Anybody can come watch. Hoke is going to be there. Fleet Feet's going to be there. We're going to be giving out awards, and there's going to be $2,000 in cash prizes up for grabs for runners. Uh, so if you'd like to join or like to just come hang out, uh, please stop by on the 17th. And we will be talking to Chris later in the episode to hear more about just, you know, what the beer mile is, how he got involved, and in, in, in what he expects with the uh, non-alcoholic beer mile. It should be fun. Uh, and the category will be up on beermile.com uh, for anyone to compete with uh, after, after the event. So it'll be a new thing for the beer mile, which is pretty cool. So be listening after Haley's part of the episode uh, for that part of the episode. But just wanted to give you a heads up, and if you're in the area, please come check it out. And good luck on your Sober October journey. And here is Haley's episode. But I definitely come from a restaurant family. My parents had a business bringing actually coffee to music festivals. They have a food cart that they bring to big festivals and events and, and camp out weekends. And so 
I kind of, my sister and I grew up being their helpers and their employees, and we were exposed to the service industry at a very young age. And my family, my grandmother comes from a family of 14 children in Northern California, and one of the children in that family opened an an award-winning French restaurant in Northern California. And because there's so many siblings, there are like 76 of us first and second cousins. No kidding. Go and work some time at this restaurant. And that was my first fine dining experience. But it was also, I was just thrown into the world of, of culinary um, flavor and, and preparation and, and performance. And I just absolutely fell in love with the restaurant industry there. And I have basically been in it since. It sounds like you've been in, in all different ways too. Like, you know, a, 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 I guess a coffee cart at a music festival. How, how well does coffee do at music festivals, by the way? I, I feel like I never see coffee there. Yeah, she does pretty well. I Especially if it's a little drearier. But honestly, people stay up so late and watch music that in the morning, being out there with the campers, is she does very well for herself. They're like, everyone needs a coffee the morning oh, after. Oh, yeah. It makes total sense. I mean, yeah. we we even with with our events that we do with athletic, I'm always like, man, where's the coffee here? Like, I need a coffee. It's seven in the morning. No one wants a beer yet. <laughs> so, so what did you think that taught you? Kind of being exposed to that world of like, hey, you know, obviously drinks, you know, food and beverage um, at events. And did, did you feel like you had a passion for it early on, or was it just basic exposure? It's like, okay, I'm at least familiar with this. I loved, I've, I've had a passion for it, I think, since, since the first time doing anything like that. I'm, I'm like such a nerd about flavor profiles and, and putting things together and creating beautiful food. I love making things as beautiful as possible. And I'm, I'm kind of a nerd about where for, food is sourced, where we get our food, um, sustainable sourced food. And I also, I, it's just so fast paced service industry. Um, it's so kind of go, 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 but it's also lots of personal and intimate interactions with people. I think serving people food is such a gift to be in service in that way. Um, so I was hooked from the get go. And then it was my aunt and uncle's restaurant really sealed the deal for me. And then I got so much out of the service industry. You know, I worked all through college. I I worked and I really had, um, little to no student debt because I had these awesome restaurant jobs throughout. And then as soon as I left college in Eugene, I went, I moved to the Dominican Republic to open a restaurant with, um, some Canadian friends. We opened a sports bar on the beach and that was a whole different experience. And I loved that in its own way. It was so fun to like create a restaurant experience. Tell us about that. What was that like? That sounds, first of all, that sounds exotic and exciting, but also sounds, sounds really, really hard to do. It was very hard. There was a lot of a lot of difficulty, a lot of challenge. Um, but I think that's what I liked about it. I mean, I don't I don't do very well when there's not a lot of work to be done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, I can tell. My, my wife is from the service industry, and it's just like this energy. Yeah. It's like when you're in, it, it's it's hard to almost get out of too because there's so many things that keep you there. The community, uh, the, yeah. the the energy, the excitement. It's like a party all the time. It, it, it's and the money's pretty good too. That's another thing. Yeah, it's hard to walk away from. It's uh, yeah, I'll get into that because I do think it's the service industry is an addiction in itself. It's so good to us, but then you know there are downfalls as well. But we can talk about that a little bit later. But the Dominican Republic restaurant, it was super challenging. There was a language barrier. There was um, a pretty heavy drinking culture. That's sort of where I I first started to get involved in that and be really excited about the cocktail scene and the and um, 
learning about different spirits and creations. And then I, uh, I left there. I came back to the Bay Area and, and bartended quite a bit. And then I started my business, which was a private cocktail company. So we did cocktail consulting and private bartending. And again, amazing experience. Wouldn't trade it for the world. But that's really where I started to lose control of my own um, habits a little bit. And, and I started to really see the dark side of the service industry. I had seen it forever, but I started to really live in it. And I realized service industry is a fantastic place to hide an addiction or a, with alcohol and, or drugs. Yeah. So that's from there is where um, I chose to get sober. I just celebrated two years and I was planning on continuing my, my work with the, with the cocktail industry. And I just got it just didn't feel like a great fit for me anymore as, as someone who wasn't drinking. And then I discovered the wonderful world of non-alcoholic beverages. And I'll tell you, I really thought my career was over when I stopped drinking. I really thought this is it for me. All this whole love of the industry and love of the flavors and the, and the, um, you know, all the, the beauty and, and community that comes with it that I was saying goodbye to all of that. And I got to a point where that, that was worth it. But I'm happy to say I was really wrong about having to give all of that up and that there is a there is a place for me in the industry um, as a sober person. Well, I was going to ask you about that. When, when things were going well and you had your own business, um, congratulations, by the way, two years. That's uh, something to be very proud of. Um, you know, when, when you were building this business and, and, and doing these cocktails, what, what part of it did you love about it? Like what were some of the things that made that so enjoyable to you? Was it just the creativity behind it, the the community, of course, but what were those key points that you loved? And when you started seeing the dark side, was it threatening to those specifically, or was it, were those dark pieces separate from those things you loved? That makes sense. That's a great question. Yes. I would say the things that I really loved, I mean, I really love to make things over the top special for people. So my business specifically was was centered around celebrations. We were at a lot of weddings or, or corporate events or um, milestones in people's lives. And so I loved being part of that. And I loved doing everything that I could to make that special for people. And I think that, you know, people who work in restaurants uh, experience that as well. I also really loved the creativity. Honestly, I like to get borderline weird with my cocktails. I like to experiment <laughs> with all sorts of different things. That was very, very fun for me. Those things are exclusive from the dark side. They're, they're separate. The dark side is a lot of us in the service industry have learned to bond through drugs and alcohol. And that's our camaraderie. That's our, the sort of lifestyle, the hours that we're often working in the service industry really lend themselves towards heavy drinking it's, it's very normalized. There's a stigma. A lot of people enter the service industry because they're really interested in, in partying. That's, that's attractive to them. Yeah. Not a lot of bar and restaurant owners, I think, understand how to navigate when someone is, is struggling with a, with a problem. And like I said, it's just kind of a place to hide those things. And then sadly, during the pandemic, there has been a 30% increase of drug and alcohol related deaths in the restaurant industry. So it's a major problem. It's, um, it's really something to look out for. And it's things like, you know, we're so accustomed to that post-shift drink. That's how we bonded before. There's restaurants now that are doing post-shift yoga or post-shift late night runs through their city. And it's just healthier alternatives to uh, a lot of drinking. <laughs> we're doing that from a 
from an actual drink point of view here at Athletic, but also from an activity point of view. Like, hey, you don't have to just sit there and drink. You can have a non-alcoholic beer, but you also don't even have to do that right now. You can go run. You can go, you know, do other things, volunteer somewhere. I mean, there, you know, you get off at two in the morning. There's only so much you can do. But if y'all go run together, one, it's safer. Two, it's a healthy thing to do. And so, so if you don't mind, I want to go back. Um, when when you started seeing those things go negative for you, um. How how did that make you feel in the sense of seeing a passion of yours, seeing something you love to do, um, start to, I guess, go sour in a lot of ways? That's a great question. To be honest with you, I was very filled with fear. I was really scared. I thought, um, you know, I thought I would have to do a, a massive pivot in my career. I thought that I would do something else entirely because I thought that I would just never, there wouldn't be a place for me. Like I said, I thought that, that I wouldn't be able to find a community of like-minded people. I thought that I would be, I really thought that I would not be taken seriously in the industry as a sober person. And that all these, all this knowledge that I have about spirits and flavors and, and brands and, um, you know, putting things together and working with all those things. I, I thought that that would just be completely looked over because of the fact that I wasn't partaking or drinking. Like, how would you know that what this tastes like? Or how would you be an expert here? You don't even partake. Yes. I also, to be vulnerable, was really fearful about people having a hard time trusting me with their, you know, I do, I identify as an alcoholic addict. And I, that, that is a scary thing to say um, in a career. <laughs> I had a huge stigma attached to those words before I started seeking support. And you know, I used to think about admitting that to people. I thought that they would also think, you know, maybe she'll steal or maybe she'll, she'll run away and not come back to work or, or we won't be able to trust her. Or I I had all these ideas about what that would mean. Luckily, none of those things have come true. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I was going to say, because I I feel like we hear this story a lot, just being here at Athletic, like, oh, you know, I I decided I wasn't going to drink anymore. I was going to cut back not even knowing there are alternatives out there that are that are amazing, you know, something yeah. like athletics. So for you, when did you start seeing not even the light at the end of the tunnel? Because you didn't know there was going to be a light there. But when yeah. did you notice the light? Athletic was a big part of me noticing the light. Honestly, I think I picked the coolest time ever to get sober because the non-alcoholic beverage movement is just major. Right. It's such a it's such a big thing. People, drinkers and non-drinkers talk about it constantly. I get so little negative response to my sobriety these days. And I think part of that is that um, brands like Athletic have worked really hard to make it cool. And I don't I don't feel anything but cool as a sober person. I mean, it's very, very rare for me these days. And I go to a lot of bars and restaurants and, and events and having a non-alcoholic drink in my hand is, has been a major part of feeling really comfortable and, and like, it's all going to be okay. Has still having a passion for this, you know, like mixology and cocktails and drinks and still in those environments, those, those places existing within them, but also in a, in a, in a new way, does it change the way you see the people enjoying drinks around you or to see the, are you have like a heightened sense of like what's actually going on? Yeah. Yes. That it. Yeah. I, uh, I came back to run my business, uh, sober once I, I, I took a break and then I came back and I did have few events in a row. And I sort of feel like this was like a, um, fateful moment because I, I didn't have a ton of over drinking at events that I would work. But for some reason, when I came back sober, there were three in a row where there was like really heavy, what felt like disordered drinking to me. And um, 
it, I did feel sensitive to it. Yeah, it was difficult. That being said, I'm actually completely comfortable in an environment where people are drinking casually. And I know there are those of us who struggle with, with drinking and it, it doesn't make sense for it to be part of our lives at all. And then there are those who, who explore like drinking less or moderate drinking. And I think it's so awesome that athletic is available to people on the whole range and that we don't single anyone out. I, I think that's great. But I will say, had I just tried to switch from non from alcoholic cocktails and beer to non-alcoholic cocktails and beer without any other support, I don't think I would have been able to do it. It's like, you know, it's like an athlete just trying to use a product to be a stellar athlete without doing the the training with the coach and the dedication to the sport. It it needs to be in conjunction with something else. There's a lot, yeah. A lot of tools in the toolbox. Hmm. I guess I already asked, like when you started seeing light, was there anyone that helped you influence that or anyone that kind of led by example that helped you see, like, I can still have a good time and and be myself? I do feel like one of my callings is to make it really obvious to people that you can be a party girl and (laughs) sober because that was like my biggest fear. I was like, okay, I knew that I was getting to this point where I was, um, to be honest with you, I was having panic attacks almost daily. I was really, really, I was having a lot of emotional consequences. I, um, my, my system just felt so sensitive that even one drink, I was, um, I was really struggling with it. So I came to this point where it was like, all right, it's, it's a need to get sober. And my thought was that I would just never have fun again (laughs) and that I would lose my career. Like I had all these fears. No one would, no one would like me. I would never have fun and I would lose my whole career. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing major. (laughs) So I look back with such fondness on the people who showed me a different way. And it was so random. Um, But when I think about being public about my sobriety today, I do it as a thank you to those people who, who came before me because they were so helpful. I will never forget. There was a man who posted on Instagram that he was headed to DJ at Burning Man. And he was so excited to be celebrating. I think it was three years sober. And I wrote to him. I, I had no idea who he was. I don't even know why I had followed him. It was, again, a fateful moment. I wrote to him and I said, tell me everything. Like, how the heck does that even work? You have to tell, you party as a sober person? And he was so kind and patient with me. And he wrote back this whole thing. And he offered to have a phone call with me. And um, that was sort of when it all started for me. And uh, again, never met this person in person. But he he kind of showed a way that I didn't know was possible. And there were a, quite a few people in that category for me. And I think that's how it's done. Um, so now today, I, um, I'm completely available. My phone is, my door is open. My phone is on for anyone that has questions about what is it really like and can I have fun? <laughs> Would you say that was the biggest misconception to you uh, when you first started this journey or, or, or were there others as well? We're going to take a quick break to hear from Nick over at the San Diego Brewery, who is our brewery correspondent for the podcast. I'm here with Mike Williams. Mike, you're doing some pretty important work right now. Um, would you like to tell the listeners what a day in your life looks like at Athletic Brewing? Today I'm doing a special project here. We're going to do some trials of uh, oak-aged beer. We're going to take our stout, it's called All Out, it's our dark beer, and we're going to infuse it with some oak chips uh, to give it sort of a vanilla, kind of barrel-aged flavor. We're not using any spirits or anything, but... Yeah, just a nice oak character out of it. Should be pretty tasty. 
Oh my gosh, that sounds incredible. Thank you, Nick, for uh, getting some of that audio for us and, and get, getting us some insight on the things going on at the brewery. If you'd like to try uh, some of our pilot beers uh, that are available right now uh, and, and be on the lookout for some new ones, go to our website, athleticbrewing.com, where you can see what's available now. You can sign up for our newsletter to be notified when there are new brews coming out. And also feel free to pick up some of our flagship, our, our tried and true beers that are always there available for you. And that's why I love them. So again, that's athleticbrewing.com. All right, let's get back into the episode. Oh, man. Um, that was, yeah, I would say that and that um, that it wouldn't be accepted by others or that people would would think it was very, very strange or try to pressure me in some way. But it's been really almost nothing but support for this decision. What kind of trends do you see or what kind of changes are you seeing in the industry Obviously, you're you're kind of in this kind of new thing within the industry now, non-alcoholic beer, non-alcoholic drinks. Well, it's a huge change in the industry. I will say I love that we work with athletes. I love the work we do with, with um, you know, Two for the Trails and all of that. But my personal favorite moment at Athletic is when a bartender tells me that they've used Athletic to improve their lives in some way because, you know, my heart just belongs to the bartenders of the world. <laughs> I'm, I'm just amazed at anyone making a different, a decision to take better care of themselves in the service industry. There's, there's something that we call toxic hospitality in the service industry. And I think when I think about it, it makes a lot of sense. And that's that it's a group of people that has put others before themselves for a long, long time. And their livelihood has been dependent on making others happy and, and creating an experience for others. And a lot of people have been, um, drinking heavily to just kind of get through that and to forget about their own needs. And so when I hear bartenders and servers and barbacks and kitchen staff and restaurant owners and anyone who's been uh, subjected to that toxic hospitality, choosing to take better care of themselves, it's amazing to me. I love, love, love hearing that. Um, there's a bartender that I just met with actually on an account call and they were telling me that they took a month off and they really relied heavily on athletic. And in that month, they did so much. They were training for a marathon. They were, um, they redid their whole bar menu, all these things. And was like, oh yes, this. <laughs> and how hopeful are you for this change to, to stick? Yeah. So again, I'm not, it's not my goal to like get the world sober. That's not, that's not a, most of my friends still drink alcohol. People I work with still drink alcohol. People at accounts. I, I just love seeing uh, people choose to take care of themselves in whatever way that that is. I'm excited to just see options because uh, not so long ago, we, we didn't have options on menus or opportunities to go out and celebrate in a sober way. And I, so options and acceptance seem to just be growing and growing in the industry and I will take it. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah. We're not just talking sobriety here. You know, there's a lot of programs like making kitchens more um, accessible places for women to work and kind of getting rid of that sort of toxic chef environment that so many of us know so well, the throwing of the frying pan. <laughs> All of it seems to be changing and growing. And uh, I think it's incredible. I did want to ask you this. Um, was there a moment or a story that you could share, um, maybe a reflection after you made the decision to, to cut out alcohol that... Um, that you maybe self-reflected or thought to yourself, I've made the right decision. Maybe it was a moment. Maybe it was just 
you woke up one day and realized it. I don't know. Was there anything like that for you? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you about my sort of um, what I would call my rock bottom moment. <laughs> and then I'll tell you um, about knowing when it got better. So I, as much as I had sort of life consequences around, around drinking, and I shared with you that I had emotional consequences. The main thing, and this is going to sound really small, but I walked outside of my house in Oakland, California, and it was a spring day. And I've always had this reaction to spring. It reminds me of like soccer season as a kid and the dew on the grass and the smells are just amazing. And the sunlight is shining through for the first time in months. And it's always brought this sense of euphoria and excitement for me. And I, I noticed when I left my house this morning that all of the cues were there to give me that euphoria. And I, all I felt was, was dread and panic. And my, I was having a, just a really hard time. And I didn't, didn't get that feeling that I've always gotten. And so I thought to myself, I think I need to be sober. I think, so, I think sobriety will clear this and I'll be able to feel those things again. So then when I, when I did get that moment again of just, you know, human joy, it was like, oh, thank goodness it's back. <laughs> and now I experience probably one of those every day. Wow. If not- That's a beautiful story it, it, because it it's, it's dramatic in its own way in the sense of like, it's not a movie scene or some, cre- it, but it's a real moment and people can have those. And it's not sometimes life-changing moments, the pivotal times of life are, are is something like that. Well, let's get into rapid fire and then we'll wrap this up. Great. So, um, what are you most curious about right now outside of, outside of what we're talking about, you know, non-alcoholic space, um, that industry, what are you most curious about? Ooh, great question. Um, I am most interested, I think in, in, uh, diversity programs in the food and beverage industry and supporting minorities in growth in the, in the food and beverage industry. You're just set on totally changing the food and beverage industry. I know. I was going to go with something. I'm obsessed. So, <laughs> hey, that's awesome. That's. I mean, it's it's. There's plenty to work on. It sounds like so. Rapid fire number two. What is, what is your proudest achievement? That might be obvious. Uh, that might not be. My proudest achievement. Um, my proudest achievement is this. I do want to talk about the work that I've been doing with an organization called Ben's Friends. If that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Ben's Friends is an organization that was created um, in direct response to all of this. So it's supporting sobriety in the restaurant industry. And it's also, we touch on mental health stuff. We touch on, you know, just finding balance in our lives. It's all about creating a healthier culture within the service industry. And it's been so awesome, Mason. I just took a leadership position with them, leading a few meetings, co-chairing a few meetings, And it is so rewarding and incredible. And all these fears that I had about, you know, I, you can't be sober in the industry. It's melted them away. Athletic has helped with that a lot as well, but Ben's friends has been just fantastic to support people in this way. That's awesome. Your proudest achievement is, is one also one of the most recent. Yes. Well, well, what would you say? This also might be obvious based on your first, what would you say the biggest goal you haven't yet achieved? Oh man, I should have studied these. <laughs> My goal that I have not yet achieved. Mm, I'd like to release a, a non-alcoholic cocktail book actually with, I haven't, this is like me talking about a dream that I have not shared with anyone, but uh, I'd like to release a non-alcoholic cocktail book, including stories of 
um, overcoming adversity in the restaurant industry. That sounds awesome, actually. I love that. <laughs> we are looking for a publisher if you're available. <laughs> That's really cool. I love that. I, I love the story aspect of it, too, because it's um, you could do so much good there. Showing people these these new alternatives, but also ingraining in them that, hey, there's you can overcome. Do, do you have a daily habit that you stick to that really helps you either stay on track or be be your best? Is there something you do every day? Yes. I, uh, what started as a gratitude list, texting with a friend, I texted, we texted one gratitude, turned quickly to three. And today, every day I do 10 things I'm grateful for and 10 things I'm proud of with my morning coffee. I could talk about the science of gratitude for an hour. It's just incredible. And I know it's so interesting because if I miss a morning, if some, for some reason I have to run right away when I wake up, I have to go somewhere and do it a little bit later. I can feel it. I can feel the difference between a morning that starts that way and a morning that doesn't. I love that answer. Um, do you have a favorite athletic beer? I'm a free wave girl for sure. Uh, it's up there, which uh, my my West Coast IPA lovers would hate me for saying that because I feel like Oregon is like the home of that really uh, Northwest hop filled. Like Run Wild does so well here in Oregon, but I I do love free wave. I also the sour, the blackberry lemon mango sour. I think was one of my all time favorites incredible beer. I know. I really hope we see that one again. Same. All right. So to wrap it all up and we'll be respectful of your time, you know, we say brew without compromise here. And we talked about, you know, it's not just brewing, it's living without compromise. Um, what does it mean to you to live without compromise? I think when I hear that, I think um, we don't leave anyone behind. We don't compromise anyone for the betterment of anyone else. When we all get better, we all get better. Haley has such a cool story, and it's such a pleasure to have her on our team here at Athletic Brewing. If you'd like to try any of our beers, go to athleticbrewing.com. You can get them online, or you can pick them up on a store shelf near you using our store finder at our website. But we're actually going to change gears now and talk to Chris Robertson, who runs beermile.com and will be helping us conduct the official non-alcoholic beer mile, which is going to be on October 17th near our brewery in Connecticut. More details are in the show notes. Uh, If you're around, please come out. If someone asks you, like, what you do or what is the beer mile, what is your, like, 30-second, hey, I'm in a, stuck in an elevator with you explanation of a beer mile that they can walk away with understanding oh. the concept? What, what's crazy is I think people actually kind of understand it. I mean, not a lot of – a lot of the general public, I would say, has maybe hasn't heard of a beer mile, but it's kind of easy to explain even in comparison to, say, just running a mile because people understand – drinking beer more than they understand running. And so when you say, hey, you run a mile and you drink four beers while while running the mile, most people are like, holy cow, like that's that's a lot of beers in a really short amount of time. Like that's pretty crazy. And then and everyone says, oh, I can't even run a mile that fast. Like that's always the the response. And, and you're doing that plus four beers. So I, there's something about it that people actually kind of understand it more than they do. So like if you said I'm a 405 miler, the average person would be like, Oh, that, I mean, it sounds fast. It's faster than I ran, you know, when I had to do it in gym class, but like, I don't really know what that means. I don't know if that means that you're world-class national class, you know, they don't really have a sense of that. But when you say, Oh, I can chug four beers and run a mile in 437, then they're, they kind of comprehend like, Holy cow. Like I can't do either one of those things by themselves in that amount of time. Um, and you're, you're doing them together. So I, I think it's actually easier to get people to understand than just the sport of running itself a lot of times, which I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. 
It says a lot about our culture, I, I think. Um, it does. <laughs> so, so for you, you know, your introduction into the beer mile, how, how did it go? Tell us, so, you know, folks drink a, a, basically a lap around a track, a quarter mile lap, and, and you drink a beer in this segment of the track, like what, nine, nine meters or so, you have to drink it right. in this range, put the bottle down or can, whatever you're using, and then run a lap and do it again, four separate times. Um, yep. What was your first experience with the beer mouth? How did it go? I think like a lot of people, it was with my uh, running club team um, in college. They uh, just said, hey, we're going to end a season. We're going to have this thing called the beer mile. I had never heard of it at that point. Showed up at the track. And uh, the first time that they did it, I would just watched. And you have like 25, 30 people on the line, like all chugging beer together and then, you know, running a lap, chugging, doing that over and over again. And just like clearly having a blast, like having the time of their lives doing it. And then like kind of fun because there's bragging rights of, you know, the fastest person on the team for running might be the worst person on the team at the beer mile, just depending on, you know, what their strengths are. So, so from there I said, okay, yeah, next time, next time the team does it, I'll, I'll get involved and do it. And uh, the first time I did it, I think I ran just over seven minutes and it was, I don't know. It was, it was a blast. It was definitely a big adrenaline rush. It was just such a weird challenge. And, uh, and I, I didn't feel bad after it at all. I felt pretty good. Like my stomach held up well and all of that. So from there, it was just kind of a, you know, end of season thing a couple of times a year joining the club to do it. Um, until I just eventually got better and better and better to the point of getting invited by flow track to do the, their first ever world championship in, uh, um, well, I guess I didn't go to the first one. I went to the second annual one with flow track in 2015 was my, my first time realizing that it was a sport bigger than just going to your local track with uh, your friends and, and doing it, you know, for the heck of it. I, I feel like that is the beer mile world. It's like, Oh, that's quirky and weird. And then you pick up, start going down that rabbit hole. And it's like, Holy cow, this thing is legit and intense. I was thinking it was this fun, quirky thing. And it is, but the folks at the top, like you, you're second in the world. You take it really serious. That was one of the first things that stuck out to me is how serious it's taken. Yeah. And I, and it is a kind of a balance I'd say, because when we all do get together for the world championship race, um, you know, I'm racing Corey, of course, we're like competitors in those few minutes that we're racing each other. But outside of that, it's, it is super just friendly. Like everyone's getting along, everyone's, you know, hanging out afterwards, getting to, like, whatever it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, I'd say more of a community than a competition. Like, yes, everyone competes, everyone at that level is competing super hard training for it, all that good stuff. But, um, at the end of the day, you're, everyone's going to these meets ultimately because of the, the friends and the memories and all of that, that you're uh, building along with it. And I, and I think for most people, it is still just that fun, quirky event. And I think it is, I mean, it still is that for me. It's uh, I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't, you know, fun uh, along the way, but it, but it's cool that like a flow track and the beer mile world classic kind of made it into an actual championship race. It, it made without those two groups making official races that got, you know, televised streamed on the internet for everyone to see, Without that, it wouldn't be where it is today with the competitiveness. I mean, people like me probably would have never, I would have still just done it as an underground thing. I would have never heard about um, or, or thought of organizing a more serious race. Um, so a lot of credit goes to, to Flowtrack and Beer Mile World Classic as well for um, you know getting it off the ground and getting it into uh, onto the screens of everyone at home so that they could see what this thing was and then maybe uh, inspire them to go, to go try one or to organize it with their friends on a, on a Friday night. 
Yeah, and inspired to go do that. That's a, that's, that's a way to phrase it. That's definitely a way to phrase it. <laughs> um, so, so if someone wants to do this, like take us through, because you're obviously an experienced runner uh, on both sides of the bottle. Uh, what does your body feel like? What are some of the sensations that you experience specifically with the beer mile compared to just running? You know, the runner's high is a known thing. Is there something different with the beer mile? Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's a... It's you. It certainly is unique. So you still have the the running piece of it. So you're still getting the like I'm racing basically an all out mile. So you're still getting that runner's high, that exercise satisfaction of it. But then there's the weird twist of you you stop and you like you're you're chugging. So it's the chugging technique as well as then your stomach just being able to hold in all this carbonation. Um, so there's basically a lot of different things that can go wrong and a lot of things that you have to have go right, like together. Um, and like when I'm going to do a beer mile, I'm way more nervous for a beer mile than I am like a normal mile race, because it's not only do I have to go run a mile PR right now, but I got to chug beers in between and have my stomach be sloshing around and be burping and all of these things as well. I think that's part of the fun of it too. I think, I mean, just life in general, that things that are challenging that, you know, maybe don't sound, I don't know, don't sound super fun all the time. You know, you're going out and challenging yourself to run a marathon, whatever it is. Those are the things that are also the most rewarding as well to, to know that you did it. And I think there's kind of a piece of that as well. And, and I know, you know, a lot of people probably say the, the alcohol buzz after a beer mile is, is, uh, you know, nice as well, if that's, if that's something that you're into, but, um, but I, it's, I think it's more the, just the challenge of, uh, this unique thing. And, and like I said earlier, the, competitive spirit of it where someone who is maybe way faster than you in an all-out mile race you could take down in this in this beer mile race which makes it perfect for like a, a club team or um you know a group of friends to do together just to kind of see how it all plays out yeah levels the playing field literally it does um, it does <laughs> and you know, there's so many different things about it, like the certain types of beer that work best, uh, the chugging technique that you talked about, you, you're not yeah. allowed to vomit. Um, and one Correct. of the most interesting things that I saw when researching is when, when, when runners were mic'd up, you know, you usually hear like heavy breathing and, and, and like just grunts of, of, of exertion when people run around the track, but with the beer mile, all you hear is burping. It's literally <laughs> just like four miles of burping. Um, what, what are some of those tricks and techniques that most people have figured out that, that have helped them? Yeah. Yeah. And this is where, uh, like everyone kind of at the world stage of the beer mile is basically the same when it comes to chugging and it, and it really does come down to how fast you can run a mile. So I'd say like, just think about when you turn a, a bottle or a can up, you know, upside down or at a 45 degree angle, however fast the liquid comes out of the, the container, that's basically how fast everyone can chug. That's, you know, serious about the beer mile. So you get to a point where you can no matter what you can chug a beer in like five or six seconds. And, uh, like you just have that skill, basically you just get that skill. Then after that, it's like, who can run the fastest mile with their stomach full and while, while burping the entire lap around, just like you're saying. And so that's where like Corey Belmore has the world record. You know, we, I, I could maybe, I mean, at least even if not maybe slightly faster on drinking than him, but he can beat me in an all out mile by like a 10 seconds. So until I can get faster at the mile, he's, you know, he, his ceiling is way higher in the beer mile than me because he can just run faster laps. And so, I mean, for me right now, training is for the beer mile is really just me getting faster. It's not about, not anymore about, you know, chugging technique or, you know, drinking a bunch of beer or anything like that. I'm, I'm very disciplined in running specifically. Um, but I'd say for someone 
who's done, not done a beer mile or newer to the beer mile, a great way to do it is just to chug water and practice taking an empty can or an empty bottle by your sink, filling it with water and just practicing chugging and, um, you know, practicing four of them in a row. If you, if you want to, to practice uh, the volume side of things, can you actually fit 48 ounces of fluid in your stomach? So if you, if you are aspiring, uh, aspiring, uh, beer miler and want to become, uh, whatever the best in your club or the, an elite level, that's, I'd say that's the trick to doing it is just get a lot of practice chugging water. I was going to ask how you practice that. Do, do, do you find yourself when you're drinking a beer um, and not running a beer mile, do your instincts kick in or you just want to just absolutely destroy it in five seconds or you have to like consciously say, I got to slow down here? <laughs> there, There is something fun about, uh, yeah, just being able to just chug the beer all in one go. So yeah, I'd say a little bit. There is a little bit of that. <laughs> So, you know, tell us about uh, the upcoming non-alcoholic beer mile. It's going to be the premiere of the category. It's going to exist on beermile.com. What yep. are you looking forward to the most with, with the NA beer mile versus uh, the full alcoholic beer mile? Well, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to not having a hangover afterwards <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and being able to mix it in with uh, training without saying, oh gosh, the next day, you know, I probably can't like plan for a workout the next day or, or whatever, but no, I think it's I think it's a really good opportunity and um, you know something I've thought about a lot and especially doing the beer mile. You, I don't think that the alcohol necessarily makes it a harder event. So like the 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 core beer mile rule is that the beer has to be five percent or greater ABV. I think really the carbonation and you know the volume of liquid is what makes the beer mile tough. And so I don't think an NA beer mile is easier than a normal beer mile per se, but it allows for, you know, anyone to participate in it. Um, or even people who love the outright beer mile allows for them to participate in it and not have the, without compromise, without worrying about your workout the next day and having any consequences on your training, your performance at work, whatever it is. And so when, you know, when athletic brought up the potential of doing this NA beer mile, I thought, oh, that's perfect. That's something that just should exist anyway, uh, as a, as a way for the beer mile to still be experienced by, you know, more people, but not having the, the alcohol component of it because, you know, chugging four beers in five minutes, I'm definitely not saying that that is a smart thing to do, um, or that I would condone that by any means. So, uh, I think that the NA beer mile is just going to be the same, all the good things of a beer mile as it is with the, the racing spirit, the community and all of that, but also just allow for more reach, more people to be uh, participating in it. And, uh, you know, for myself, I'll know I'll be feeling good the next day and still be able to go get a good workout in. You know, that's a great point because especially someone like you or even Corey, there's like a legit Olympic hope there with your career. And, you know, b being the best in the world at drinking four beers in a row and running a mile, that, that doesn't necessarily go great paired with that kind of training right. for Olympic right. hopefuls. So this is something where even someone at the top of their game can, can do, participate in something fun and literally not have to worry about it chipping away at that athleticism on the other side. That's really exactly. interesting. And for, for practicing the beer mile too, you can actually, you know, replicate a beer exactly because it is what a beer is, yeah. um, just yeah. without that effect of the alcohol, which is pretty cool. It is. And that, and that's exactly it. That part, I mean, a big part of the reason, I guess now that I have the chugging down, I don't necessarily need to practice, you know, the drinking beers part. Um, but it would have been nice as I was trying to learn this skill to, cause I do a lot of my track workouts in the morning and it's like, I'm never going to actually go drink beer at 8am. Um, even, even in the afternoon, I don't know, like I, I, the, 
barrier to like training for an event like this is something that I just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to commit to doing that because I don't want to have alcohol as a part of my running workout. Cause then it'll make my running workout. Not, I won't recover as well. It'll, it'll make that not be as effective for me in my training overall. So yeah, like guys like Corey and myself, we, we only do a couple beer miles a year. We're not doing that many of them. And that's a big part of it is because we have, we have other goals as well. And uh, have want, want to be as fast as we can possibly be without the beer. And so that's, you can't, you can't necessarily be doing a beer mile every week. If you're kind of trying to maximize your training and recovery for whatever normal uh, event that you're, that you're trying to set a personal best in, or, you know, make a, make an Olympic team in whatever it is. That's really interesting. And, and, and it's interesting also to hear that the alcohol you don't foresee uh, being someone that operates the website, like you don't foresee that really affecting the time. Almost it's like four and a half minutes is almost too fast for four beers to even affect you. Um, yep. You're just, it's it's going to be that aftermath that's going to be different. <laughs> exactly. So let me ask you this. Has there been a beer with athletic brewing that you think is going to do better than others? I noticed that it's a lot of lighter beers. Um, it's not, you know, tons of stouts or su- something super heavy or IPAs even, uh, what, what, what do you think from athletic might, might do well? Yeah. I don't think you could go wrong with any of them, to be honest. Um, I've, I've tried them all at this point. I think I'm based on just cause I think I like the taste the most, uh, I'm going to, and, and it seems to go down easy. I'm going to do the cerveza atletica for sure. That that's going to be my go-to, but I don't think you could go wrong with any of them. To be honest, they all, uh, they all taste good. They'll all flow, flow the same out of the can. So just kind of whatever your personal preference is, uh, I think they're all good choices. That's, that's awesome. So our beer mile is coming up really soon. Do you know any more about where it's going to be and what time? It is going to be in Stratford, Connecticut. Um, I believe it's it's actually on October seventeenth at twelve thirty p.m. And there's both. So there's the. I think they're going to have multiple heats. There's so it's open for for people to register for it. Um, anyone in that area can register. But I think even more importantly, anyone can do the virtual event, and it's completely free, no charge. Uh, just go to the website and sign up and. What we're doing on beermile.com then is we created a new official category, um, official rule set for non-alcoholic beer miles, and that's live now on the site. And so when you create uh, an event uh, on the on beermile.com and submit your race results, you you tag it to what the, the event was. Was it a beer mile? Was it a uh, chocolate milk mile? Was it now we have the NA beer mile? And so what we're going to do is have anyone who competes virtually and then obviously at the race itself, we'll, we'll upload the results there. We'll have a, a leaderboard of everyone who's done the NA beer mile. And since it's a brand new thing to the website, it'll just be the athletic brewing event filling out the leaderboard to get things kicked off um, for the NA beer mile category. So it'll be exciting. It's a good chance for you know anyone that wants to compete, um, whether in person or virtual, to just get a time on the board and uh, you know to be on that on that record list while it's uh fresh off the presses get a chance to have your name at the top of the list while while you still can um, <laughs> yeah any, any final words of warning or or, or jabs you want to take at Corey uh before <laughs> before setting off against him oh man i it's hard to it's hard in running to talk to take too many jabs because it all it all comes down to just race day and times don't lie race results don't lie so you can't hide as much as maybe you could, you know, talking crap in basketball or any other sport. Um, but, but no, I think I, I would, I will say that I'm definitely the best fitness, best running fitness that I've ever been in my life. And so I, I think that I'm ready to 
run a personal best in the beer mile. And hopefully that means that I'm right alongside Corey and we'll make the race super exciting and super interesting. You know, I think I can out chug Corey. I, I know I can out chug Corey. So um, just a matter of sticking right on him on the running. And I, I think it'll be a, it'll be a, it'll be a good race regardless. It'll, it'll be closer than any other uh, race where him and I have competed. We haven't competed against each other since 2019. And I think he beat me by 11 seconds at that point. Um, he's not going to beat me by that much if he beats me at all. So uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be an exciting one to watch. Man, this is going to be fun. And, and again, if you're not, if you're not a pro out there and you want to participate or, or, or do one of these, um, you do not have to do it at, at, at these crazy times to have a good time and to compete. So, um, especially at the event on the 17th, come out, we're going to have a category that you can participate. Um, there's a virtual aspect like, uh, like Chris said. So, all right, man. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to follow along. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, yeah, it's been great to meet you and chat about it and looking forward to this NA beer mile. It's going to be a, a good throwdown and looking forward to meeting everyone who comes out to the event too. It's going to be great to see some new faces. So at this point, I think you know the drill. You know where to find us, athleticbrewing.com. You can follow us on social, sign up for our newsletter, uh, try our beers online, or find us on store shelves using our store finder. And again, if you're around, please come out to the beer mile. And if you're participating in Sober October, good luck. You can do this. And for everybody that's listening that kind of always sober, you know, you can do this. <laughs> keep it up, I guess. Um, all right. Keep living without compromise. Keep living without compromise.